At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. These are issues that our kids have to deal with every single day. You know what I mean? Asking a kid to learn is one thing. Asking a kid to learn when they're starving is another. Asking a kid to learn when they're freezing is another. Asking a kid to learn when they're sweating bullets is another. You know what I mean? These are basic necessities of education. And these are the same kids that we have no problem buying into the idea of their criminality when they make mistakes. But we seem to have every problem in the world when it comes to investing in their futures in the basic, in the most basic ways that one can invest. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we speak to former NFL player turned Baltimore art teacher, Aaron Mabin, who's also author of the book Art Activism, the Revolutionary Art Poetry and Reflections of Aaron Mabin. Also, I've got some choice words that were written by journalist Lindsay D'Arcangelo that I want to highlight about Larry Nasser, the child molester doctor who was in charge of USA Gymnastics over at Michigan State. I also have Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down awards, some very special ones this week, a very special Colin Kaepernick watch. And for patrons of the podcast, we have a new segment called Chronicles on the Edge, where I speak about uh, somebody famous at the intersection of sports and politics that I know and how we met. This week's edition... Greg Popovich, with a great little story about Kawhi Leonard and 1968 Olympian John Carlos. But you got to be a patron to hear that one. Go to www.patreon.com slash edgesportspod if you want to hear that. But first, let's hear from Aaron Maben. You came up through Penn State. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Uh, first round draft pick doesn't get any bigger than that. Was it the sort of thing where when you were coming up, I mean, it was just like you happened to have this athleticism, but your passion was just somewhere else. And what was that like to come up through Penn State? Yeah, I mean, I've always had, I've always been athletic. You know, I've always been gifted. You know, um, I've always been an extremely hard worker, too. And I think that that was one of the reasons that allowed me to um, to get as far as I did. You know what I mean? Um, I was always the hardest working guy on any team that I played on. I still believe that to this day. And that was part of kind of what fueled my desire to get to that level. Um, the thing that most people just don't know is that I've always been just as passionate about my artwork. I've always been just as passionate about the work that I do in the community. You know, um, I was creating art um, from the age of like, you know, three or four years old. You know what I mean? Like I was creating art before I could even form words and speak. Um, I was mentored by guys like Larry Poncho Brown and Charles Bibbs, you know what I mean? Like, you know, pioneers in the art game of their generation, you know? So um, art has always been a huge part of my life, you know, and I'm also the son of, 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 of a pat of two pastors, you know what I mean? So um, I grew up watching my father working in the community, you know what I mean? Working uh, in his capacity with the Baltimore city fire department in the community, you know, um, 
working with our most vulnerable uh, uh, brothers and sisters. And it's always been something that I motiv- that motivated me to want to get to a position where I could do something similar. You know, I never saw myself as a as a as a as a preacher or a member of the church of the of, of the clergy. But you know, the way I mention it is like you know, my father's church is in the pew. I mean, my father's church is uh is is in the temple, and mine is in the streets. Mm. Same work that's getting done. You know, we're ministering to people. We're 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 serving people. You know what I mean? And I think that that uh, is a key requirement of anybody that wants to do this work. It's it's really it's really the act of service. Yeah, you, you've got me. I've got to do a shout out now to my friend Gary Nelson, who's a Baltimore City firefighter and uh, has been for over 20, 20 years. Um, he probably knows my father. Yeah, because <laughs> he's a Gary's also black in the fire department, which which creates its own challenges, um, and it certainly does. So, so I, I want to take this to Baltimore. I mean, it's a city very near and dear to my heart. I've spent so much time there, living in D.C. My wife's from out right outside of Baltimore. And so before I ask you anything, just give me some word association with Baltimore, Charm City. Like if somebody says Baltimore to you, what are some of the words that come to your mind? But we're a blue collar city. You know, we're a city of tough love, you know, but we're also um, we're a city of arts. We're a city of uh, of, of, of of renaissance that's taking place right now. We're a city of of creators. We're a city of innovators. You know, we're a city of of resilient people, you know, um, there's nowhere else that I've ever wanted to live. I've had the opportunity, you know, to travel all over the world, but it's only one place that I feel at home. and That's in my city. Mm. Now, Baltimore schools, because because the obvious follow up to me is I was thinking about you all week, Aaron, because, um, you know, we hit we got another cold snap this week. And so did you send, were there any more changes um, as the result of your video? And not just your video, but other teachers definitely spoke out and other families spoke out. Were there any changes this week with the cold snap that hit? I mean, the major changes have been primarily the only, the only real change is that on the days that, things, that conditions have been bad since the video went viral, school has been canceled. Mm. You know what I mean? They, um... It's impossible, and I'm, I'm trying to get people kind of understand the nuance of a story like this. Basically, in the aftermath of the video going viral and all of these schools um, being in these conditions, and in addition to that, they had an emergency school board meeting where the community came out, and it was a really ugly exchange between the community and, uh, and the school board. So um, in the aftermath of that, the mayor went on a huge PR campaign. Like she, uh, she was at basically every, almost every single one of the schools over the weekend that had uh, these issues. School was canceled for the last couple of days of the week. So she brought in uh, contractors working around the clock, most of these locations. Um, by Monday of the following week, they were able to have all but, I think, five or six of those schools open, if I'm not mistaken. But mm-hmm. the, day, the very next day, I believe we had um, a two-hour two delay, and the day after that, we got out two hours early. You know what I mean? So um, there was a, there's, been a lot, there's been a lot of PR um, happening uh, in the last, you know what I mean, week or so. But the larger issue can't get lost and people thinking that this problem is fixed just because they saw some people working on heating units. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, 
they got them running again, but these units are still having problems. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, at this point, because the story has gotten so national, you literally have um, our elected officials and um, people and the school board that are going through back channels to try to, you know what I mean, control the narrative in a way that they can spin. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously with this being an election year, everybody's trying to politicize this issue. I can't even tell you how many politicians I have emailing me and in my inbox right now trying to leverage this for some kind of political ploy. Um, so, like, there's a, this is an extremely nuanced story because this is, a, this is an issue that is so old. It's an issue that so many people are complicit in, and it's an issue that's literally been passed from administration to administration for, like, the last 20, 30 years. Mm, that's powerful, man. It really is. Like, how do you uh, how do you combat generational neglect, basically, in a way that's comprehensive and long lasting? So we're not still having this conversation in ten, fifteen years. And that's the thing. Everybody right now, uh, even though I'm so grateful that because of the the athletic platform, you know, the story really got legs and 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 it got out there in front of people, and they're seeing what's happening still in an American city in 2018. But um, I can't allow the larger issue just to kind of get lost in the clickbait of of mm-hmm. a sexy article. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, unless these heating and cooling systems, for that matter, are updated because we're talking about classrooms that are 40 degrees in the winter and 95 degrees in the summertime. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like we're talking about uh, uh, school buildings where kids can't drink the water because of lead contamination. So we have water jugs there for them that – we run out of, literally. We literally run out of water. We literally run out of cups. You know what I'm saying? These are, these are issues that our kids have to deal with every single day. You know what I mean? Asking a kid to learn is one thing. Asking a kid to learn when they're starving is another. Asking a kid to learn when they're freezing is another. Asking a kid to learn when they're sweating bullets is another. You know what I mean? These are basic necessities of education. And these are the same kids that we have no problem buying into the idea of their criminality when they make mistakes, but we seem to have every problem in the world when it comes to, to investing in their futures in the basic, in the most basic ways that one can invest. You know what I'm saying? We're not even talking about getting them uh, 21st century uh, technology in their classrooms or laptops or TI-83 calculators. We're talking about getting them heat. Right. Ever yeah, in we're my talking life, about I've basic conditions. A school that had to deal with issues like being able to stay warm. You know what I'm saying? And, like, I hate the fact that the, that the, that the issue um, becomes something that people say, you know, you can play the race card on, but that's just a fact. I've mm-hmm. never been into any school that deals with the kind of things that I deal with at my school and so many other educators deal with all around the city of Baltimore when the demographic is not black and brown kids. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't call it the race card. I call it the race reality. Because to not speak about it in terms of race and class is to not confront the actuality of what's happening. I do need to ask you about your book, Art Activism, The Revolutionary Art, Poetry, and Reflections of Aaron Mabin. What, what was the motivation for you? Um, not in the aftermath of the uprising, but really beforehand, um, a lot of my writing and a lot of my artwork was kind of pointed in a singular direction. And then um, in the aftermath of Freddie Gray's death, um a lot of the a lot of the uh a lot of the essays, a lot of the paintings, a lot of the poetry really started to take a, a specific um direction and I felt as though a body of work was forming. 
but I didn't want to rush it. You know, this is something that um, I take my craft as an artist very seriously. I take my craft as a writer very seriously. So um, I took two years to really develop these ideas, to work on it and make sure that the project was something that before I even put it out that I myself could be proud of. And um, I did that, you know what I mean? I, um, I self-published it. So um, it was something where I, did, I wasn't about to put myself in a position where um, a publishing company could uh, edit away the content to something that they felt like was palatable. I wanted it to be pure. I wanted it to be raw. And I wanted it to be in my own voice. And I think that, um, you know, when you read the book, that content kind of carries true. Mm. Well, it's, it's, I mean, I can't wait to get my hands on it. It looks really powerful. It's available for folks, um, online booksellers, and I'm sure it's available at Red Emma's in Baltimore City. Red Emma's in Baltimore City, uh, it's available on Amazon. Um, it's available all over the place in Baltimore, man. It's been really great to see the, the community kind of, um, stand up and say, look, you know, we want to, we want to get this project out there, you know, everywhere from, you know, City of God's clothing store, Angel Park Boutique, you know, you got uh, Red Emma's. Um, it's, it's so many places that have just said, you know, we want to support the project. And I think that the reason about, I think that the reason for that is because, you know, the book is so Baltimore, you know what I mean? It's something that uh, I think that anybody from any city could definitely relate to and um, see similarities in from their, uh, with their environment and all that kind of stuff. But, um, the book starts off with an open letter to Baltimore, you know, and I frame it almost as if it was a, it was a, a, it was a conversation, like a love story between you, between me and Baltimore if she were a woman, you know. So I go describing as the type of woman that she would be and the type of relationship that we would have. But I think that um, the authenticity of um, the character of my city kind of reads reads true in the book, and it's been really great to see people who aren't even traditionally avid readers, really like sit down and wrestle with the poetry, really sit down and try to analyze the artwork. And um, that was really what I wanted from the book. I wanted it to create a larger dialogue where um, we were forced to kind of open up about both uh, the good and bad aspects of our cultures, you know, and how we, um, how we, how we point ourselves in a better direction moving forward. Mm. And I guess my last question for you is just honestly curious if, I mean, you've you've done this amazing activism here, and I know so much of it comes from your love of art and your love of Baltimore, but how much has been seeing people from Colin Kaepernick to Michael Bennett, I'm sure some of your former teammates, being part of this wave of resistance in football this past year, has that been inspiring to you at all, or do you feel too distanced from that world to, to really feel that kind of a wave? I mean, I'm definitely, it's definitely a distance between me and that world now. You know, this is, you know, we're going on four years uh, uh, of me being full-time, you know, in, my, in the next chapter of my life. But, you right. know, there's no way that you couldn't be inspired um, in some way by the courage and um, the fearlessness that these guys have, um, have displayed, man. Like, I absolutely love everything that, you know, Michael Bennett and his brother have done, you know, from, you know, their activism to, um, to their off-field work, you know, I'm excited to read his book when it comes out. His brother has done a whole, uh, has, has done amazing work with uh, his children's books and his company that um, that he created, kind of creating content for the youth. I think that that's amazing. I think that everything that Colin has done has been absolutely incredible. You know, as a fellow member of Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, I'm, I'm I'm so proud of my frat brother for everything mm. that he's accomplished and uh, and everything that he sacrificed um, for the larger issue. I think that 
there's no greater a judge of somebody's character than, you know, who they are when their back is up against the wall. And that man's been in that position for over a year now. So I definitely commend him. I commend every single person, um, athlete, non-athlete, who voiced their opinion on the issue, because at the end of the day, regardless of what your opinion was, you contributed to a larger dialogue that this country has been so afraid to have for years. And I think that um, when athletes choose to take that kind of stand, society and, and, and the greater culture can't help but to address it because this is one of the, uh, the currencies by which um, we move now. You know, these are, these are people that help to drive culture. You know, so I think, right. that it's definitely, um, I think that it's definitely important the work that those guys are doing. And I'd be remiss not to shout out my little cousin, uh, Jalen Reeves, made for the Detroit uh, Lions for his, uh, for his fearlessness and, and, and being a part of that protest. You know, it's pre- it does me proud to see, you know, the next generation of Maven athletes, you know, carrying that torch. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely proud. And, you know, even when you look at the work that Cameron, my cousin, has done um, down in Houston, you know, um, in the aftermath of their tragedies, you know, it's been, mm-hmm. it's been amazing. And I just want to see guys continue to use their platforms, not – as the NFL or the NBA or the N, uh, or the MLB wants them to, but how they're passionate about using them. Because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. Because when you're going home, when you're done with the game or when the game is done with you, you still have to go back to your community and be accountable to the people that helped you to get to where, they, where you are. And I think mm. that we all have a greater responsibility um, to contribute to the betterment of those communities rather than equating success with the idea of getting money, getting resources, and moving away. Wow. You know, that's actually a big theme in Michael's book, um, uh, Michael Bennett's book, uh, is this idea of you go in the NFL and you run the risk of forgetting who you are, forgetting where your community is. And then when you retire, you're basically lost. You're a lost soul at that point. And then my last question for you, for real, just because I ask this of everyone who comes on the show, you know, art is a big part of your life. Music is a big part, I think, in all of our lives. Who do you listen to when you're trying to get ready to start your day and climb that hill to try to reach these young people in Baltimore? I like to listen to artists like Rhapsody. I like to listen to people like, um, uh, who's another person that, uh, that I'm really feeling right now? I think, um, uh, what's the name? Son of None? Say it again. Son of None? Oh, I don't know if you knew Son of None because he's from Baltimore. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, as far as Baltimore artists, man, you know, I love me from Take Cobain, man, you know. Bitch, I'm from Baltimore. You say you was, I never see you. What part you on? I got some family on the Alameda. I love my city. That's about me, and I bet they know me. My name good in any hood. I hung around to vote. I got a bitch that live on Appleton. Man, Hunter, Izzy, you know, those guys are, are, are young cats that are really, you know, making a name for themselves and really doing some, um, some some great stuff outside of the space of just making music. So a guy guy like YBS Stola, you know, another one of my guys um, here from Baltimore. You know, I, there's an actual renaissance taking place in the city, man. You know, everybody from you know musicians to painters to writers and and uh, performers are really making names for themselves and on a national scene, not just local. And I think that uh, it's a it's a wonderful thing to be a part of because there's a lot of collaboration there. You're seeing guys. Um, Instead of instead of finding ways to beef with each other, actually finding ways to collaborate and work with one another, actually find ways to support one another. And I think that um, when you see the artists start to do that, you know, you see it start to um, reverberate throughout other aspects of the city. So I would hope that that I would hope that us being able to do more of that would contribute to less violence. It would contribute to a more 
uh, to a safer environment for our children. Hopefully, you know, this pressure that we're being able to galvanize, we can leverage into better schools. You know what I mean? I think that um, anything is possible, man, and as artists, we really have a great responsibility to, you know, drive that narrative and drive the culture in a better direction. Mm. His name is Aaron Mabin. His voice is art activism, and his commitment is on display every day. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us, man. Appreciate you having me. Now I'm going nowhere unless a nigga strapped up. And if you fuck a Morgan bitch, you better strap up. Talking shit to get you and your niggas clapped up. And now a quick word from The Nation magazine. We have an amazing issue that's on the stands right now, and you can uh, read it in its paper form or go to thenation.com slash subscribe. It's a profile of resistance issues. You got John Nichols on Rebecca Solnit, Collier Meyerson on the great Claudia Rankin, George Zornick on Carmen Yulin Cruz, who people may know as the mayor of San Juan, uh, Joshua Holland on Andy Slavitt, who knows more about health care and the Affordable Care Act than anybody I know, and me, Dave Zirin, who wrote a piece about Colin Kaepernick. So please, everybody out there, check out the most recent issue of the nation and the resistance profiles. Rather than just look back on Trump in 2017, we chose to look back on those resisting Trumpism. You really should support it. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the podcast. And now I've got some choice words about Larry Nasser, the person I hate even calling a doctor uh, who sexually assaulted so many people um, through his position at Michigan State and in USA Gymnastics. Uh, these words I'm going to read are not by me. Uh, they're by a journalist named Lindsay Darkangelo. She posted this to her site, and I read it with her permission. I just I, I thought it was so important. So remember, these are the words of Lindsay Darkangelo. This is her speaking about her daughter and her life. Larry Nasser, the pedophile who was allowed to abuse young girls for decades under the guise of being an esteemed gymnastics doctor and trainer for Michigan State University and USA Gymnastics, is finally being sentenced in Lansing, Michigan this week. Almost 90 victims are sharing their personal stories about how Nasser groomed them, sexually abused them, and effectively ruined their lives. I hope the judge throws the book at him, literally. I hope she takes the Bible or whatever thick book she has at her disposal and chucks it at his goofy-looking head, cracks his glasses, and draws blood. Then I hope she jails him for 300 years. The anger I feel toward this man is so thick and bitter that I can taste it on my tongue. And he never laid a single hand on my daughter. As a parent, I want him to answer for his actions. I want him to pay a price because he took something so precious from those girls, 150 girls, that they can never get back. He took something that we parents try so desperately to protect. He took their innocence. Of course, Nasser wasn't alone in this. He had many enablers, many. He had people around him who looked the other way despite the various allegations that were being levied against him. These people are just as responsible. They were the adults. They were supposed to protect the innocent. Instead, Michigan State's attorney filed a motion to remove the university's name, as well as coaches and administrators who had direct knowledge of the accusations against Nasser and dismissed the charges against them. As for USA Gymnastics, many of the same people on the board of directors when Nasser was allowed to keep working under their brand are still there. There's a new president. That's it. Where's the accountability, responsibility, human decency? 
I often wonder how people like this sleep at night, because I toss and turn after sending an email I regret. How does one sleep soundly knowing that they are effectively supporting a pedophile, that he's ruining hundreds of lives, and they did nothing to stop it? This story, in all its horror, hasn't really blown up in the world of sports the way others have, but LeVar Ball stories flood my Twitter feed constantly. It's easy to read to talk about Ball, to take swipes and deliver hot takes about his antics. I suppose it's not easy to read and talk about decades of sexual abuse and molestation in gymnastics. It makes people uncomfortable. It reminds them that sports aren't always the safe haven they seek. To that I say, buck up. Or maybe this is more sobering. What if it was your daughter? Would it matter then? My five-year-old daughter has dreams too. She also loves gymnastics. I don't know at this age if it's something she'll want to put her all into. I know that she's tried soccer and says it's boring. I know that she has no desire to play baseball, and cheerleading isn't her thing. But she's into all the balancing, twisting, swinging, jumping, and bending that goes along with gymnastics. Before this story broke, I never had a second thought about it. Now I think about it. I think about Allie Raisman, about when she was five years old and falling in love with gymnastics, and the innocence and purity of her gold medal aspirations, and how all of that was taken away from her without a second thought. Yesterday, Simone Biles tweeted that she too was abused and molested by Nasser. It broke my heart. These young women had a dream of competing in the Olympics and winning a gold medal, a dream that came true. A dream that will forever be tainted by the very people that were supposed to protect them. A dream that in the end became a nightmare. That's Lindsay Darkangelo. If you want a link to her column about Larry Nasser and USA Gymnastics, you can find it in the description of this podcast. And now to end this segment, I want to play the words of Allie Raisman, gold medal Olympian. Her comments in court against Nasser have to be heard to be believed. And it might actually leave you with a sense of hope that this next generation finally is going to clean this monstrous garbage scow that has been USA Gymnastics. Clean it up for good. Here's Allie Raisman. Larry, you do realize now that we, this group of women you so heartlessly abused over such a long period of time, are now a force and you are nothing. The tables have turned, Larry. We are here, we have our voices, and we are not going anywhere. And now, Larry, it's your turn to listen to me. There is no map that shows you the pathway to healing. Realizing that you are a survivor of sexual abuse is really hard to put into words. I cannot adequately capture the level of disgust I feel when I think about how this happened. Larry, you abused the power and trust I and so many others placed in you, and I am not sure I will ever come to terms with how horribly you manipulated and violated me. Your Honor, I ask you to give Larry the strongest possible sentence which his actions deserve, for by doing so you will send a message to him and to other abusers that they cannot get away with their horrible crimes. They will be exposed for the evil they are, and they will be punished to the maximum extent of the law. Let this, sen- let this sentence strike fear in anyone who thinks it is okay to hurt another person. Abusers, your time is up. The survivors are here, standing tall, and we are not going anywhere. And please, Your Honor, stress the need to investigate how this happened so that we can hold accountable those who empowered and enabled Larry Nasser, so we can repair and once again believe in this wonderful sport. My dream is that one day, 
Everyone will know what the words Me Too signify, but they will be educated and able to protect themselves from predators like Larry so that they will never, ever, ever have to say the words Me Too. Thank you. A quick word about the Start Making Sense podcast. If you like Edge of Sports, you got to check out Start Making Sense from The Nation magazine. It's progressive news without the boring parts. Every week, host John Wiener takes a step back from the daily media deluge to talk to some really smart people. People like Naomi Klein on climate change or Keith Ellison on a strategy for the Democratic Party. And he's even had me on the show to talk about sports and politics. Catch a new episode of Start Making Sense every Thursday at thenation.com, on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's just stand up. Now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. This week, the Just Stand Up Award goes, of course, to Allie Raceman, whose voice you have already heard on this podcast. It also goes to Adam Rippin, who is the first openly gay USA Winter Olympic athlete. He's a skater, along with Gus Kenworthy, who's also openly gay and is on the ski team. Well, Adam Rippin has now joined the ranks of dissenting Olympic athletes. Dissent in the Olympics has gone back since there's been an Olympics. It's a lot deeper than Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Adam Rippon joined those ranks because he was asked about Vice President Mike Pence leading the Olympic delegation, and this is what he said. Quote, you mean Mike Pence, the same Mike Pence that funded gay conversion therapy? I'm not buying it. If it were before my event, I would absolutely not go out of my way to meet somebody who I felt has gone out of their way to not only show that they aren't a friend of a gay person, but that they think they're sick. I wouldn't go out of my way to meet somebody like that. Adam Rippon also said of Pence, I don't think he has a real concept of reality. To stand by some of the things that Donald Trump has said and for Mike Pence to say that he's a devout Christian man is completely contradictory. If he's okay with what's being said about people and Americans and foreigners and about different countries that are being called shitholes, I really think he should go to church. Boom. Now, Adam Rippon has also said he's willing to talk with Mike Pence, and he's not willing to go to the White House. But if Mike Pence wants to have a conversation about these issues, he's more than willing to do so. But given that this White House, as we've seen often with the protesting activist athletes, is far more interested in demonization and division than discussion, let's not hold our breaths. But it is another example of the athletic community acting far more presidential than the people who happen to be in the White House. Oh, by the way, the Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down goes to Vice President Mike Pence. Because sure enough, this whole situation got under his skin in a big way. And this was the response from his office, which was almost instantaneous to Rippon's comments in USA Today. This is what Mike Pence said. The Vice President is proud to lead the U.S. delegation to the Olympics and support America's incredible athletes. This accusation is totally false. He's talking about the gay conversion therapy accusation. And has no basis in fact. Despite these misinformed claims, the vice president will be enthusiastically supporting all the U.S. athletes competing next month. Blah, 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 blah. Something like that. Listen, in 2000, Mike Pence ran for Congress. On his website, he called for federal resources to be directed, quote, 
toward those institutions which provide assistance to those seeking to change their sexual behavior. That's the quote. So for a White House that lies as easily as it breathes, and for a vice president who once said he was a Christian first, a conservative second, and a Republican third, this is just more hypocrisy. Someone spanked that man with a Forbes magazine. He's out of control. All right, Kaepernick watch. And this is a good one because Colin Kaepernick this week made his final $100,000 donation to complete his $1 million pledge to help groups working in oppressed communities. And the way he did it is very cool. He pledged $10,000 a day for 10 days and challenged a celebrity to match him every day. And so far, you've had people like Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Jesse Williams, the actor, have all stepped up and also donated $10,000 a day. The charities, again, that Colin Kaepernick is helping are ones that actually do activist work. Once again, Colin Kaepernick is not only showing through his own deeds, but he's actually training a layer of celebrities, of people with disposable income, how to create a bridge between philanthropy and activism. Rock and roll, Colin Kaepernick. Can't stop, won't stop. Well, that's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for everybody for listening in. Thanks so much to my producer, David Tigaboo. Thank you so much to Aaron Mabin. The work you're doing is unbelievable. Again, if people want more information about what Aaron is doing and his book, you can find it in the description of this podcast. Please, if you support this podcast, go to patreon.com. Go to www.patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod, and you can see all the things that we're offering for people who become patrons of this podcast. I know it's free content, but freedom isn't free, and we really do need your help uh, in helping us sustain and continue and expand this work. Thank you so much to the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Again, subscribe to The Nation at www.thenation.com slash subscribe. When you support The Nation Magazine, you support the continual existence of this podcast. Uh, if you like the show, please subscribe to it at iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. Never forget that this is something that you can do. And if you put a rating for the podcast or make a comment, it makes a huge difference in the various algorithms that I don't begin to understand. And lastly, uh, get better to our other co-producer, Dan Baker. And for everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.